on today's Compassion Radio. People started to come, you know, some families from the totally destroyed cities like Mariupol and Kherson and Donetsk region. And it's mostly women and kids. So we could not let them go. So we ended up with, you know, 180 people. And many more flowing through. Yeah. From the front lines of faith to where you live, there's more than just news happening around the world. There's a kingdom out there bringing life to the darkest places on earth. And Compassion Radio is there to bring you that story. Thanks for tuning our way today. On previous programs, we got the skinny on how the church in Ukraine was holding up in the summer months of the Ukraine invasion and how you helped them to keep serving those caught in the crossfire. On this and following programs, we'll get you the latest updates on that work, direct from the people who are multiplying your gifts. Loaves and fishes, you might say. I'll let you know how you can be directly involved with their work later in the broadcast. So have pen and paper handy. And now, to today's interview. Back on Compassion Radio with us today, a couple of our friends that have had eyes on the prize, so to speak. They've been in Ukraine and out of Ukraine a number of times, and they're doing the work that we keep talking about that the church needs to be doing. They're actually there, ministering to the needs of all the refugees that they can find that God puts in front of them. And they're also making a way for the church to keep serving within the country without abandoning their homeland. Oksana Gorbanova and Fred Human of Serve Ukraine and Music Works International, both of you welcome today to Compassion Radio. Thank you. Great to be here. Always, always, always. Last time Fred and I talked, he was heading off to a conference in Sofia, Bulgaria, and then the invitations kept getting extended, and he kept going new places and going back to old friends. You ended up right at the very heart of Ukraine again, all the way into Kiev, and yep. beyond that. And of course, we've heard a little bit of Oksana's travels. She's back and forth from Poland into her home country, working on the, the farm and the relief work there, which I want to hear more about. And of course, running across to the front lines to bring relief in and bring people out. That's where our people are aware of your work. So fill me in now. What has become of the ideas you had and of the need as God has given it to you? And I'll let you kind of bounce the idea up between the two of you, and I'll just listen in sure. and pop a question here and there. I'll uh, just address one thing first. Oksana's ministry is called Go Friends, and we're partnering with them at Serve Ukraine okay. uh, with their efforts in Western Ukraine to serve the refugees that they're dealing with. And it's a pretty amazing story. Since we last talked, I've been to Bulgaria Poland, Ukraine, a couple of different places in Ukraine, and then England on the way back, seeing both the work they're doing in, in Western Ukraine, visiting current and former students, making some new connections with other arts missions organizations in Europe. It was a three and a half week trip for me. In fact, it's pretty funny that she and her kids are here because we were just together two weeks ago Yeah, last yeah in Martian, yeah, uh, in Western Ukraine. So I was thrilled to finally see the effort that we've been able to invest in a little bit in Morshin, which is south of Lviv. Morshin is a former spa town. You know, I keep comparing it to Hot Springs, Arkansas, where everybody goes for the water and thinks the water is going to cure them. In this case, Morshin was uh, known for liver issues, not for causing, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Drinking the water gives you liver issues. The town no. itself has a bad liver, huh? Yeah. Um, uh, there are many okay. places across the Rocky Mountains out here in the west where I guess you'll be heading to next, Oksana, where we have hot springs up in the Rocky Mountains. So I understand that kind of resort town. Yeah. And we have a place called Thermopolis, Wyoming, just a few hours southeast of me. 
Now, Fred, tell me what you expected to see when you went to Morshin and to the work there, and then Oksana can tell you what's really going on there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear, actually, <laughs> what you was expecting. Yeah, I, you know, who knows, because I've been following pictures and hearing stories for the last months. What I did see that I expected to see was a lot of people who are glad to be in a place where they're safe. Hmm. And not only safe, but they're being cared for. But it's not, you know, the old saw is not a handout, it's a hand up mm-hmm. in English. But I think that's really what they're doing because the people who are there who are refugees are generally from places like Kharkiv and Mariupol where the cities have been devastated and what they have in most cases no longer exists mm-hmm. or they've lost family members and they just wanted to go as far from that part of the country as they could to a safe place on the opposite side. Um, the thing that was encouraging to me was to see the fact that that hand up is showing itself by the people who are living there helping make decisions for the community, helping build the community, helping make food, helping build this new uh, center they're building out on the farm, uh, taking care of stuff in the buildings there in Morshin. There's two former sanatoriums, sanatoria, Uh, that they have been able to acquire or at least to occupy. It's a little hard because they had a building in Stree, the next town north, that they had to evacuate because they wanted it back, and they had done a lot of work there. But the fact is these people are grateful to be anywhere, but they're in a community of people that are helping and working together to deal with it. So that's a very, very cool thing. They're getting jobs. They're getting food. They're getting medical care. They're getting psychological care. I mean, it's a very, very unique thing. And how many people are we talking about? What, 180, 200? 185 right now. But we have some, you know, some families leaving and some coming. So it's yeah. around 180 all the time. And not, lots of kids. Not to make too small a point of it, but what you're talking about is exactly what was happening during the beginning of the Book of Acts, where the first persecutions were rolling in. Jerusalem was under siege, and the people of the way were being chased out and run off into other cities. The diaspora began in the Bible. So the people you're caring for may or may not be part of a church before, but they face the same common existential threats to their livelihoods, to their families, to their identities. And you're bringing them into a context where Jesus anchors all of that, which I'm appreciating about that. But you're not requiring of them that they just be Christians, I understand. You are ministering them because God gave them to you. Yeah, because Eugenia, you know, my friend with whom we actually started this, we didn't have plan, but it just happened. So he's a Christian and I'm a Christian. And every family who's coming, we're telling them that we're going to have, you know, like Bible learning, you know, evenings or devotion or worship, whatever. So we're just getting involved in this like every day. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see even that in practice. Not so much Christian to non-Christian, but different parts of the culture. When I was at the lunch that they serve every day in Stree, where their office still is, half hour north, right? Mm-hmm. So at lunchtime, all these dear people queue up. Whoever's there usually prays for the meal. And so I was there, shared a couple of sentences and how we were supporting them and prayed. And afterwards, all of them who were Orthodox believers crossed themselves and said, Amen. And these guys were not saying, well, I don't take food from Protestants. Yeah, see, (laughs) right now, it's a matter of God, like who helps them, and it doesn't matter what church you came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we saw some of the big steps forward back in 2017 when the stories of how everybody who was evangelical or orthodox or Protestant of some kind had come together to stand up to evil. They took the risk of actually standing in the Maidan to pray together, which was the first time they'd done that in a thousand years. And that 
big shift has happened. It's not an ecumenicalism where we're trying to get institutions together. It's standing in the place where there is danger and standing for and with Jesus and watching him stand for them and realizing you're part of a very big Christian family around the world and the world is supporting you. As believers, the kingdom of God around the world is supporting you and lifting you up and praying for you and now, hopefully, more practically, providing for the needs you have right now. Okay, we heard Fred talk about what he expected, what he saw. Oksana, tell me what's really going on. Um, do you want me to start from the beginning? Yeah, please. <laughs> it's a pretty long story, but make it short. So when the war started, I evacuated my, my kids to Warsaw. And on the way to Warsaw, I am already started to write from the first day to receive requests for help like evacuation, and at the beginning it was from friends, family friends, you know, some people I know, and because I have first and then second one and one more and one more, so they passed my contact, and on the second day already, it was like hundreds of requests, and I started to receive requests from, you know, from individuals, and then it started from the groups and hospitals, and I met the guy I knew on my way to Warsaw, so he saw what I'm doing, like driving and doing all the things, so he said, if you can arrange a group of people, I will give you 10 people of my staff who will work as a volunteer just for those requests that you receive. Hmm. So till I got to Warsaw, I'm by voiceover in like a ranger that taught them how to make the database of the drivers and people and break them into towns and regions so we can connect like volunteers with the people or drivers who can get people out of the hotspots. So that's how we started to work and I was like managing group of people of 10. And when I got to Warsaw, the next day I started to get in together the Ukrainians or people I know there so we can arrange some kind of logistic to bring in stuff from the Warsaw to Ukraine, like, you know, medicine and like first aid and like humanitarian aid and that stuff. And in a couple of days, I think it was like first week or second week, there was a need to bring like expensive stuff to Ukraine, mm-hmm. like visions and, you know, bulletproof us. So I decided to do it myself. Because there was no one who can do that, so I made my first trip, and uh, and after that it started like another trip and another trip. I even don't know how many trips I did. Have you done trip after trip, heading east, heading west? Your family's been evacuated to Warsaw. Then I got a phone call in one of my team from my friend, actually Zhenia, who is right now back in the center doing all the work on the ground. So he asked me to help with evacuation of orphanages. So started to work on that, and we actually together we created uh, more than 2,000 kids. So during like all these evacuations, we found out that we need a place for them to stay on the way to the final destination because some kids like little ones are with a special need and they cannot just be in a transportation long time. So that's how we ended up, as Fred said, it was an old hospital from the Soviet times that was proposed to us was one of the authority in the city where like Zhenya moved with his family to. So uh, it was a pretty old building and have all the videos and pictures. It was scary, but we did not have any other options. So I said, Zhenya, you work on a group of volunteers who can help with the physical work and I will work on raising money to at least like fix restrooms and, you know, some mattresses and bedding and stuff. Pick the first floor for kids and then... People started to come, you know, some families from the totally destroyed cities like Mariupol and Kherson and Donetsk region. And it's mostly women and kids. So we could not let them go. So we ended up with, you know, 180 people. And many more flowing through. 
Yeah, yeah. And we already like arranged the lives there and some system with the cooking and cleaning and, you know, like kids care and stuff. And then this guy who gave us a hospital, he said, I need this building back. So we really tried to talk to him and it did not work. So we started to look for another location because we already had those people. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. We continue to focus our relief efforts on the intrepid Christians getting relief to the front lines of conflict in Ukraine. Oksana Gorbanova is the tip of the spear on this project. Just last week, she and team members from our partner, Serve Ukraine, finished delivering aid that you provided through your generous giving. Here's how your gift made a difference this time. A refugee and orphanage center was quickly built in western Ukraine that Oksana's volunteers currently use to serve hundreds of new refugees every day. You helped to buy seed for a new community farm and garden that is feeding hundreds of people. You helped to buy a herd of cows that is now providing children with fresh milk. And the farm itself is providing work and hope for those who feel lost and without purpose. For all of this, friends, I say thank you. And don't stop now. Please give generously today so we can keep growing our Serve Ukraine project and supporting heroes like Oksana Gorbanova. I just finished recording a new interview with Oksana that will air next week, so plan to catch those broadcasts. And a final note about this. As you've heard, a massive retaliatory strike on Ukraine occurred Monday morning that took the lives of civilians all across the country. Well, we finally heard from all of our partners, including Oksana's refugee team, and thank God, all have been spared so far. But they're bracing for a brand new wave of refugees heading their way. So again, please give whatever the Lord enables you to, to help us save more lives and deliver more hope. Just call today, 1-800-868-2478. Or write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And catch us on the web, of course, at CompassionRadio.com. And now, back to the broadcast. We already, like, arranged the lives there and some system with the cooking and cleaning and, you know, like, kids care and stuff. And then this guy who gave us a hospital, he said, I need this building back. So we really tried to talk to him and it did not work. So we started to look for another location because we already had those people. We found these two sanatoriums in another city, not far from the previous one. We moved them there and... On the transition from one place to another place, Zhenya called me again and said, I met this guy and he has a land and actually he ready to sell it on a good price. You know, it's a good price compared to the land price, but because of the war and, you know, just two of us, it was like step of faith because we didn't know if it will be even possible to pay it. But we sat and we talked about keeping these people together and like feed and utilities and you know everything you need and even two spaces and toothbrushes if you like count for the, that amount of people it's like a lot so we decided that we don't know how long the war will be but they need to self-sustain yeah, like yeah. things sustain somehow and we really saw an opportunity in this because there was less two Fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just learned that word yesterday, so that's why I'm checking. Yeah, I'm just choking with, uh, <laughs> like checking with Fred. So there is like a lake with five ponds there, and we already use this land. We did not pay the whole price yet, but we already use the land. So we put fish in those ponds. There was an old farm before, so the one barn was left. So we use this barn for animals. We already have calves, pigs, sheep, goats, and chickens. <laughs> And trust me, I smelled them. They're yeah, there. <laughs> and we planted one hectare of potatoes and one and a half hectare of corn. 
and we're growing own vegetables and all our refugees and people are working on this. So men working on construction because next to the barn, there was an old foundation that we decided to use and build a building there for them to move in for living. Okay. We plan to finish before the winter come. So all the people working for themselves and actually our refugee cook food every day and feed other refugees in that three city where we used to yeah, live yeah, every yeah. day. So this yeah. is how we started like ministry to ministry. Okay, let me recap this for our audience. You have not just evacuated children from orphanages or taken in refugees from cities that are destroyed. You found places that we could take them in and then kept leapfrogging from one property to the other until you actually have property you're buying out of nowhere. You expected that. Mm -hmm. And you're developing it in the middle of a war and providing them a place where they can provide for themselves by farming, fishing, livestock, raising. How big is this particular farm that these refugees are now living on? It's like 27 acres. Yeah, yeah, just over 27 acres. Okay. It's about the size of the farm we had down in Texas. And by the way, you learn the word pond. That's great. When you get down to Texas, you have to learn about tanks, which is what they call all the ponds down there. So go figure. Really? That's new. Well, it's stock tank. That's where they get the words from. When you start supplying all of the teaching a man how to fish or a man how to milk a cow, whatever else, you are teaching them how to think ahead and dream and believe for a future that probably they didn't really trust would be possible. They are finding a way to supply for their own needs and the needs of others. And you're giving them hope because you're showing them that it's possible. You're going to survive this war, or at least some of you are. And in so doing, you're paving the way for the future for all of them, Yeah, which is important. And without that kind of vision, people are going to die in the streets because they have no idea of what's possible. They won't even try. You've helped them to try, Oksana, and they're working hard with you. And that is a great, great thing. So I, I salute you for that and for the people that have stood with you saying, we can't not do this. In fact, we need to be thinking about a longer future, a future for Ukraine that's going to be free, a future where the families can reunite. We celebrate that. That's why people want to invest in that kind of work, because they believe it has long legs, as we say in the West. It's going to be able yeah. to go through deep waters. It's been very interesting to see, to finally meet Jania. He is atomic powered. Hmm. It means he doesn't ever stop. (laughs) (laughs) Running around, doing this, doing that, doing the other. And it's interesting because he, too, was an orphan. Hmm. So there's that extra motivation there behind it. We were able to be there, and hopefully I was able to bring up four of our students who were in Transcarpathia, Zakarpathia, south of there, Mm -hmm. uh, to do a, a ministry evening, some worship and prayer time for Ukraine. And then the students did something the next morning. Because, again, using refugees to help refugees. Because right. these students, only one of them is from that region. And that, that gal had hosted up to 20 other students and other people who were refugees in her home for all this time until just recently. Awesome. So to bring them up to help and for them to see how they continue to use their gifts to minister means that we're also investigating doing a more permanent thing and investing in helping them come or some of them with others come once a month or every couple times a month to do an evening of worship and prayer, to be able to be there uh, to minister. And that's exactly what brought you to Ukraine in the first place. The notion that God was going to use everything he brought forward in your life, Fred, in worship and in arts and historical context. Where do we come from as a people? Why are we even a worshiping congregation? Why is there worship around the world at all? Why don't we just 
have a philosophy. Yeah. And you discovered that in the scripture and in the history of the church and have brought that back to new life. And that's why you're working together now to see how that worship is going to transform the people and the society. Oksana, let me ask you straight up here. When you jumped into this, I know you weren't expecting all the things you're doing now, but you've been a person that has seen that God has used you before. But you're also, in a lot of ways, in a lonely, lonely place because there's not many people that have that kind of courage to step in and say, I'll stand in the way for you. I'll take a bullet for you if necessary. But you're also a mother and a wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, Oksana, so where is your husband now? So he's on front lines in the Ukrainian army. And are you allowed to know where he's serving or fighting? Yes, okay, like you- a region with no <laughs> details. <laughs> so even if you didn't know, you wouldn't be saying it for operational security. So the funny thing is that he's originally from Russia, hmm. and he changed the nationality like about for after Revolution of Dignity. So hmm. he, when this war, he's standing against the Russia, but his mom and his brother family still in Russia. Yeah, divided houses have a difficulty just on their own. That's a huge burden to bear. And yes, I'm praying for peace to come from both these countries so that you can reunite with those you love, and there could be over generations a healing. Right now is not the time for that. The time for survival and for service and for sacrifice is what we're in right now. Yeah. We'll keep praying, Oksana, that your husband comes back safe from this war. Yeah. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. Yeah. Okay. I know you didn't expect all that's happened since this war started, but where do you see God showing you, Oksana, this is going to go forward? And what will you be doing over the next six months or 12 months if God allows you to? I don't know how is your church about the tattoos, but I have this scripture on my hand from okay. Isaiah. So this is like, you know, everyone has like own things that keep you going. Mm-hmm. So as I told you, actually, before when we talked with you, like for me, Christianity, it's like you live with it. It's not the matter of the church or the style of the worship or whatever, like what hands do you use to read the Bible or, you know, like lots of rules. It's a matter of you live with this or not. So for right. me, Christianity, it's always an action. Okay. So I don't imagine me acting differently. And I'm crazy a little bit, Fred knows. Every time I see you in a video or a picture where that eagle shows up and I remind myself that you are willing to put the scripture not just where you know it's hidden on your body, but where others could not mistake it on your forearm. So if you faced an enemy didn't like what you had to say. This is a statement of saying, I'm willing to die for this truth. I don't wish you to. I wish you to be safe and healthy and, and live a very long life along with your kids and your husband. Yeah. But you are taking risks. And that's one of the reasons I'm asking people to keep praying for Oksana Gorbanova and her work and that God would preserve you for another day and for his glory to keep you going and doing what you do and save many more lives along the way. Yeah. So what is it specifically you want to accomplish before this war is over? Um, that's an interesting question. To make the center and people that we have and orphans to, you know, like go back to a real life mm. and to help them somehow to adapt to the new reality and keep leaving with the right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say with that, just to strengthen and expand what they're doing, because 200 people is nothing to sneeze at. Mm. But let's talk about 13 million right. of those who are internally and externally displaced in Ukraine. So there's a chance to plant some seeds in people's lives and to give them a sense, not just of hope, like hoping against hope, but real hope, and also an opportunity for them to 
try to have some semblance of real life, even in what they're doing. I mean, she's here in the States primarily to raise funds because, you know, it costs about a hundred well, over a hundred dollars a month. a month to give them three meals, protection, health care, uh, psychological care, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of dosh, as they say in Britain. And then the the farm thing is amazing because they're all building it themselves. And that's something that will continue because those five ponds can be, you know, part of a retreat center that they've mm-hmm. got other space for where other people can come and enjoy that. And so it's an integrated, it's a holistic in the right sense of the word, integrated solution to say, how are we going to help the people that God brings us? I mean, she saw 2,000 people come through. They've got 200 that have stuck. I'm in her peen, 22 families. We've been able to help placing windows in their houses before winter. But when you're in a town where 70% of the buildings are damaged, you realize you could be replacing windows for the next 10 years and you'd never get close. Mm-hmm. So it's these are families in a church that we know and people that they're related to. So you start with who you have right. and you hope and pray and try to build for multiplication so that people are touched through those you touch. It was really uh, gut-wrenching but encouraging to hear the stories of the people who just by replacing a window, all of a sudden they have hope. They have hope and they have the potential of saving some other lives in their own neighborhood. Absolutely. My thanks again to Oksana Gorbanova and Fred Human of Serve Ukraine and Music Works International. As you support the Compassion Radio work this month, you're also supporting the excellent and desperately needed work that they do. I hope you'll give generously and that you'll pray earnestly. Remember, if you missed any of the earlier discussion, the podcasts are available 24-7 at our website, CompassionRadio.com. And thanks for standing with us as we support their work through this ministry. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.